Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And as I announced on Sunday, and if you've seen the emails and the social media outputs, that starting today we're doing a series where we're answering your questions. And so I already received a number of questions, enough to cover a number of messages. But if you haven't had a chance to ask your question yet or would like to submit your question, go to FCCGA.com slash howto. Submit your question right there on that online form, and we will answer it in order as we're led by the Spirit, and we're going to answer it from the Word of God. Not give you opinions, but see what this word actually says about it. And we'll see why that's important. Start at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5. And of course, we'll put this message on the podcast later this week and on the website. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5. It says, get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve you. Love her, and she shall keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. Getting understanding is getting comprehension. There are times in the learning process where you may have questions, and asking questions can help you grow in understanding. Anyone when was growing up in school or in college, how many of we appreciated being able to ask questions and we didn't understand a subject matter? And so what we're doing with this series is giving the opportunity to ask questions that you may not understand or that you want answers to. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. So we see we're supposed to get understanding, but we also need to see that it is a scriptural principle to ask questions and get answers. Because remember, everything we do here is founded in the Word of God. We don't want to just do, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. But is there a basis in the Word of God for it? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Notice what Paul's saying. It says, now concerning the things whereof he wrote unto me. So what do they write to him? The statement, this question. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now we're not answering that question tonight, but that wasn't Paul's question or statement. This is something they wrote to him. So now think about it in context. This is chapter seven. So the previous six chapters, the Holy Ghost is addressing issues and mess that's at that church in Corinth. And so chapter 7 begins the Holy Ghost answering the questions that they asked. You'll see two other times in this chapter where he says, now concerning this, now concerning that. He's answering their questions. The Holy Spirit is not afraid of your questions. God delights in answering your questions. He's a teacher. He wants you to grow an understanding of his word and of who he is. He's not afraid of your questions. A lot of times we think in a Christian mentality, church mentality, you can never ask questions because that's disrespectful. Well, how else are you going to learn if you don't ask questions? Let's look at the different type of questions. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. You do need to ask questions, and this is a venue where you can ask questions. Luke chapter 1. Verse 18, we'll see Zechariah, a priest, served faithfully before God for many decades. An angel appears unto him, and an angel tell him, tells him that he and his wife are going to be pregnant. They're going to have a son. We know this is who John the Baptist is going to be. But Zechariah replies to the good news the angel brought him. Now, mind you, he got, the angel showed up because Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a child. They've been praying for decades. They've been praying for years. They probably forgot they prayed for a child because now they said, he says, I'm old. Now, you're old when the Bible calls you old. And so he's answering. He's like, now, really, God, you're going to finally do what I asked you for decades ago? So notice his response to the angel. He says, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. Or she's old, too, but I can't say that loud because you'll hear me. So he's not asking God, how you're going to do this? He's saying, how can I be sure what you're saying is going to come to pass? It's a question of unbelief. 
He says, give me some type of sign or token that I know that what you're saying is true. Now, when he get to, and we know, Gabriel responds and catches an attitude. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You know what? You ain't going to talk for some months. But look at the question Mary asked in verse 34. The angel Gabriel appears to her and gives her great news. Talking about you're going to have the son of God. You're going to be pregnant. He's giving all these great things about what God's going to do. Then she asked a very important question. How shall this be seen? I know not a man. I'm still single. I'm living holy. I'm not sleeping with Joseph. How is this going to happen? Notice the different context of the question. Zechariah asked, prove it to me, pretty much. And Mary is saying, asking for an explanation. God doesn't mind you asking for explanations. You see something in the word of God? Okay, why is this so? Well, why does it work that way? God wants you to ask those questions because he'll teach you different things. You know, you look at the story of George Washington Carver, and he's trying to grow in wisdom and understanding. And so he asks a question, and God is leading him in a certain direction. He says, yeah, that's too big for you. He says, well, what about this? Oh, that's too big for you. And he says, fine, God, why did you make the peanut? He says, now that I'll teach you. And he had how many inventions out of the peanut? What happened? One man of faith asked God a question, and God gave him an answer. And he changed everything with his answer. And so God is not afraid of you asking questions. You have to ask in faith. God wants you to have an explanation of things concerning his word. So let's go to today's question, tonight's question, from one of them I received. The question I received was, how do I overcome strife? How do I overcome strife? First, let's define strife. Strife is a heated, serious disagreement that continues for a long period of time. It is a heated, serious disagreement that continues for a long period of time. It is a lack of harmony and agreement between parties. It is a lack of harmony and agreement between parties. Galatians 5.20 says that strife is a work of the flesh. So it's a heated, serious disagreement that continues for a long period of time. It's a lack of harmony and agreement between parties. It is something that the flesh will produce. So let's look at what the Word of God says about it. But also in the King James, the word strife is also sometimes translated as discord. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 12. Let's look at how to overcome strife. First, in order to un overcome it, you need to know what it is. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12. This is a naughty person. That word naughty from the Hebrew means worthless. Someone who's not living a life worth anything. A wicked man. Walks with a forward mouth. He winks with his eyes. He speaks with his feet. He teaches with his fingers. Forwardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He sows discord or strife. Now notice what is the harvest of sowing discord and strife. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly, and suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. So if you sow discord, if you sow strife, your harvest will be destruction. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are abomination or things that he abhors. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift into running into mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. So notice how God feels so strongly about strife for the person who creates it. God abhors it. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be anything that God hates. I don't want to do anything that God says, I hate this. I don't know about you, I'll try to do the opposite. If God, if you hate that, I'm going to try to do the opposite. Because I'm trying to live in a way that pleases you. So we see God hates the sowing of strife. He hates the sowing of discord, especially sowing discord and strife between family. Or creating drama between family members of people in the body of Christ. God hates that. Go to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. We'll spend some time in Proverbs for the next few minutes. Proverbs 15, 18. says, a wrathful man stirs up strife. But he that is slow to anger appeases strife. An angry person that has not dealt with their anger, a person who is poisoned by their anger, 
will be a person that stirs up strife. So if you're a person that hasn't dealt with anger issues, that you're always angry, always full of rage, you will stir up strife wherever you go. So you go places, I'm just tired of all this drama, you may be the one creating it. If you have not dealt with your anger scripturally, if you still have anger issues that you haven't grabbed a hold of, you will stir up strife. Remember, it tells us in Ephesians that don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And I was talking to someone about that. I said, isn't that a marriage scripture? I said, no, that's a body of Christ scripture. We always talk about it in a marriage context because it's true there. So it's not just talking about husbands and wives. It's talking about everybody. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not a sin to be angry. But it is a sin to remain angry. So if you're not supposed to let the sun go down on your anger, that means you're not supposed to let 24 hours go by and still be angry. You have to deal with your anger. Because if you don't deal with your anger, you're going to be a person that stirs up strife. And so what happens is something happened to you. You may have done nothing wrong, and now you're angry. But because you didn't deal with that anger, now where you're going, you're going places and you're going to stir up strife. And now you're going to become a person who's doing things that God hates. And you can still be saved and sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, but because you didn't deal with your anger issues, now you're causing problems wherever you go. Go to Proverbs 16, 28. It says, a fraud man. The word fraud means perverse or a fraud. So a fraud sows strife. And a whisperer or a gossiper separates chief friends. Proverbs 17, 14. It says, the beginning of strife is as when one lets out water. Therefore, leave off contention, another word for strife, before it be meddled with. The Amplified says it a little clearer, like this translation. It says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, as, as a, from a small break in a dam. First it trickles, and then it gushes. Therefore, abandon the quarrel before it breaks out and tempers explode. If you do not stop strife at the beginning, it will grow quick like water rushing out of a dam. So strife doesn't just automatically explode. It starts little, and then it grows, and it grows, and it grows. It's easy to stop a little leak. It's easy to fix that. It's hard to fix a dam that is completely broken open. That takes a lot more time and effort to build that up. So the wisdom of the Holy Ghost says stop strife when it's small, so you won't have to stop it when it's huge and it's destroying everything. We've looked at... Uh, natural disasters in this country where the levees have given out and the levees have broken and the destruction that the flooding has happened. It wasn't just the storm that brought destruction. Now the levees overflowing are bringing destruction. That is what it will look like in your life if you don't handle strife when it's small. If you let strife keep on going, then you're going to have a flood-like destruction. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs says a lot about strife. This is the book of wisdom. You know, it's like, well, I want to read through the book of Proverbs. It's the perfect month to do it. 31 days, read a chapter every day. Proverbs 21, verse 9. It says, it is better to dwell on the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. That word brawling is the same word for strife. So the wisest man in the world, by the wisdom of the Holy Ghost, says it is better for you to live on the corner of a roof than to live in a house with a woman full of strife. Some husband's like, I'm not going to say anything. Go to Proverbs chapter 28. So I saw husbands look down, go, hmm. But a strife-filled person will change the atmosphere of their home, whether it's the husband or the wife or even the child. You need to stop strife when it's small, not when you're full of strife. Proverbs 28, verse 25. It says, he that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. But he that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat or shall be blessed or shall be abundant. If you're a proud person, you're going to stir up strife. Well, why do that? A proud person doesn't apologize. A proud person doesn't admit they did wrong. A proud person is full of themselves. So wherever a proud person goes, they're going to stir up strife. So you see why God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so if you don't get over yourself, you're going to stir up strife wherever you go. You think you're the answer to everyone's problem, and everyone's like, no, you are the problem for all of us. Why? You're full of pride. You bring strife with you. Now, the thing is, being humble in biblical sense, as we talked about it on Sunday, is yielding to the Word of God and yielding to what God says about you. But it's also not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. 
Now, notice is more highly than you ought. So you're supposed to think highly of yourself. But you're not supposed to think too highly of yourself. What's the difference of highly and too highly? You're supposed to think that you are everything God says you are, that you are an amazing creation, that you're worth dying for, that you are a wonderful being, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are awesome, that you look great. You're supposed to think that about yourself. But you're not supposed to think it about yourself if you're comparing yourself to others and you're, making, you're looking down on someone else. Because I'm all these things, you're nothing. That is thinking too highly of yourself. That is thinking more highly than you ought. And a person who does that will stir up strife. We'll look at that later because you see the disciples, they stir up strife when they're comparing to each other who is greater in the kingdom. So any type of belief or mentality that is leading you to compare yourself to someone else and saying that this person, this gender, this race, this ethnic background, this nation is less than me because of whatever reason is pride, stirs up strife, and God hates it. One of the reasons God hates racism so much. That is strife and division manifesting at a high level. Go to James chapter 3, verse 16. So the angry person who doesn't deal with the anger stirs up strife. The person filled with pride stirs up strife. So if you're going to overcome strife, you have to make sure that you're not a proud or angry person. Because you won't be able to overcome what you're creating. So you have to deal with pride issues like we talked about on Sunday. You have to deal with your anger. James chapter 3, verse 16. It says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Strife will open the door to confusion and every work of the enemy. So if you're a person that stays in strife, you are opening the door of your home for Satan to come in and destroy it and fill it with every sin and every evil thing. You're like, well, I'm always rebuking the enemy. He's always coming to my house. Well, make sure you shut the door. You know, what's the point of having an exterminator come and spray your house if you leave all your, all your doors and your windows open 24-7? It's like, well, I don't know why all these spiders and roaches and bugs are in my house. I don't know why all these rodents and squirrels and snakes. What's going on in my house? Close your door, shut your windows. Some people are like, well, why am I dealing with all these attacks from the enemy? Sometimes it's not always the attack of the enemy is you open the door. And say, oh, the door's open. Might as well come on in and make myself at home. Because strife will open the door. So that means a proud person and a person who doesn't deal with their anger is going to operate in strife and open the door for the enemy to come and destroy their lives. And you're thinking, oh, God must have judged that person. No, God didn't have to do anything. They open the door and the enemy says, well, I might as well. So let's look at an example of that happening in the Word of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because not only can strife open the door to destroy personal lives, it can also destroy churches. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll look at the church of Corinth. It was a prosperous church. It was a church that had a gift of the Spirit. It had a lot of good things going for it. It was a good-sized church. But as it went along, things began to happen. Paul's writing to them in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual mature people, but as fleshly, even as babies. I fed you with milk because you can't handle the steak. So Paul said, I had greater revelation to teach, I had more things to say, but I couldn't even preach it or teach it because you were babies. So there's sometimes there are messages that God and the man of God want to deliver to our congregation, but they're not ready to receive it because of their spiritual state. And so the Apostle Paul says, I couldn't even preach what I wanted to preach because you have gone to baby level. Now, he's saying this. Now, if they were babies and they've always been babies, that's a different conversation. But obviously, they were babies and they grew up some. And so when Paul came, he expected to be able to give them a stake, but they had reverted to baby level. How did they revert to baby level? For you are yet carnal, fleshly. Another translation says you're acting like mere men. You're acting just like humans. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men or mere men? For while one says, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal and fleshly? Aren't you babies? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? So what is Paul saying what happened to the church of Corinth? When you look at the word strife and discord and all these words here, it meant a civil war broke out in the church. People are picking sides and fighting. Why? What is the subject matter at hand? 
who is their favorite preacher? You think, well, that's a harmless conversation, but it turned into mega strife in that church. Why? Some people say, because Paul started the church. Well, Paul's my favorite preacher. I'm with Paul. After Paul left, Apollos became the pastor of the church. And Paul and Apollos had two different unique styles. Paul had this style we see in the Word of God, how he preached. Apollos was a great orator. Some scholars call him, he had the silver tongue. So he could make all those big words flow together, make it sound really good. You listen, you feel like you're getting smarter. So some people say, oh, man, I'm of Apollos. Then I guess at some point, Peter came and preached at the church as a guest speaker. Man, I'm with Peter. And then the super spiritual, trying to act like this spiritual, is like, I'm with Jesus. And it's not like one side decided that I'm not going to fight. All four sides are fighting with each other. And Paul heard about it because some people went to the church like, what is going on? So they went and found Paul and said, dude, this is what's going on. So Paul is addressing that. So what type of, dis- what type of things happened to this church because of this opening of strife and discord? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is reported commonly, not rarely, commonly, that there is fornication, sexual sin, sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the heathens, the Gentiles. Because you guys are sinning worse than the Gentiles. The Gentiles are coming to your church to learn how to sin. That's how bad y'all are. What is the specific sin Paul is addressing? He's calling out somebody. He's not saying the name, but he's calling out a particular person in the congregation. That one should have his father's wife. So it's not like it's just happening and no one knew when it was covered up. There is a person in the church who is sleeping with his stepmother. The father apparently doesn't know about it, but everyone in church has heard about it. And it says, y'all shouldn't be so happy and proud. Y'all need to repent and deal with this thing. So part of the correction, you see Paul is talking about a specific individual later in this letter. He's talking about this person who hasn't repented for him and his mother having that relationship, him and stepmother having that relationship. But what opened the door to that type of sin? Strife. Remember, every evil work comes in. Strife opened the door. Now, what also came into the door? Go to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Strife opened the door for all the sin to come into a Holy Ghost-filled church. A church that's operating all the gifts of the Spirit. So when you look at Paul teach about the gifts of the Spirit, most churches couldn't even understand that because most churches didn't have all gifts operating. Paul had to lay down the law because the gifts of the Spirit because they were flowing. But they didn't have much information understanding because of the strife that was going on. But you get to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Paul says, but let a man examine himself, not his neighbor. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself. Talking about communion, not discerning the Lord's bodies. Not talking about the elements. He's talking about their relationships to their brothers and sisters in Christ in that church, in that building. So eating and drinking communion unworthily says you're eating and partaking of communion and partaking of the Lord's table while you're still ticked off and offended at other people in your church. And the core matter here is because someone likes another preacher better than you. So you guys are in offense. You guys are in strife. And so now you're acting like this is how it's supposed to be. And you take communion. What is the result of that? For this cause, many are weak, that word weak, and sickly among you. And many sleep or die prematurely. For we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So strife opened the door to unprecedented sin, sickness, and premature death. Strife opened the door to unprecedented sin, sickness, and premature death. See, some parents can open the door for their children to deal with issues because they're offended at people. Look, I don't know why my child is acting like this. I never did this. Well, check to see if you have strife in your life. Check to see if you open the door. Before you blame your child, look at yourself first. Did you open the door for Satan to attack them like this? Are you offended at some family member? And this blocked what God wanted to do in your life. I remember Dad Hagen telling a story about a certain individual that he went to minister to. And uh, this was a person who was uh, grabbed by Caesars and all these different things, an attack of the enemy. And in this case, the root of it was an evil spirit. And so they wanted Dad Hagen to come down and pray. And so he went to pray. And before he stopped, he said, looked at the mother, he says, you're offended at this and this family member. And before this person can be healed, you need to forgive them and let it go. And when you do, your child will be delivered. So she went and made things right, and he prayed. And the child was delivered. 
and for years never had another seizure. And one time it started coming back, and the mother said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name, and they never had another seizure for the rest of the life. But the way that child was afflicted was because the mother had opened the door through strife. Close the door of strife. Don't let the enemy into your house because you open a door through strife. So strife opened the door to unprecedented sin, sickness, and premature death. So to overcome strife, you have to go to the root of it. To overcome strife, you have to go to the root of it. So if you're an angry person, you see the root is your anger. If you're a proud person, the root is your pride. Well, look at some other ways. You, look at, you go to Genesis 13. Genesis 13. Genesis 13, verse 7. If you're going to overcome strife, you have to deal with the root of it. Verse 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and you. And between my herdmen and your herdmen, for we are family. We are brothers. So what did Abraham say next? Hey, you pick what land looks the best for you, and you go that way, and I'll go the opposite direction. So what was the solution of, to get to the root of this strife? Number one, you go back to chapter 12, Lot was not supposed to be with Abram. He was never supposed to go with him. That was Abram having a good heart, but still not doing what God said. Now, Lot was blessed because he was with Abram, but this opened the door to strife because disobedience was a factor. And we see once they split, the blessing began to work on Abraham's life in a higher level. So when he dealt with the root and separated Lot from them, the strife ended. So to deal with strife, you must go to the root of it. Go to Luke 22. The passage I was referring earlier to about the disciples, Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 23. The disciples, the apostles, Jesus' leaders. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So what was the root of the strife? They began talking about which one's going to be greater in the kingdom of God. Man, which one's going to be the leader? Man, so you see all of them, it doesn't say a few of them, all the disciples are fighting. You got Peter and John and James and Judas and Bartholomew and Nathaniel. All of them were going against each other. No, I'm greater. I'm greater. I'm greater. I'm greater. No, I'm greater because you did that. I'm greater. Don't you remember that stupid thing you said to Jesus? No, I'm greater. Don't you remember you couldn't cast out a devil? I'm greater. I'm greater. I'm greater. So they're having a conversation, and it turns to strife. And Jesus said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship of them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. You're not going to do the same thing. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that does serve. For whether it is greater, he that sits at meat or he that serves. Is it not he that sits at meat? But I am among you as he that serves. So what he's saying, if you want to be great in my kingdom, serve. If you want to be great in my kingdom, help people. If you're going to be great in my kingdom, you're not going to become great because you're giving people a lot of orders and bossing people around. If you're going to be great, you're going to be servants. Now, if the disciple says, I want to be great in the kingdom of God, so I'm going to serve, how can I help you? How can I bless you? There's not going to be any strife in that conversation. The reason there's strife, you see by Jesus' answer, is because they want to tell everybody else what to do. So John wants to boss people around. Peter wants to boss people around. Judas wants to boss people around. Thomas wants to boss people around. But Jesus says, if you want to be great, you need to serve. He says, you say, when you go to a table, the person who's sitting down is better than the one who's serving them. But he says, I came to you as a servant. So if I came to you as a servant, you need to serve everybody else. So the root of strife in this issue was their opinion of what it meant to be greater and then comparing themselves to everyone else. So if you're in a habit of always comparing yourself to someone else, strife will come. Why? Because envy and jealousy will come. And as you're jealous of somebody, you could think of all these different reasons why they shouldn't have what they have, and strife is going to grow. And as strife grows, you're going to open the door to every evil work. You're going to be resisted by God, and Satan is going to bring unprecedented sin into your life and your house, and so will come sickness and premature death.
Strife is a serious thing. Another root of strife is offense. Another root of strife is offense. So if you want to overcome strife, you need to overcome being offended. Offense is an event. Being offended is a decision. Jesus says offense is coming to everybody. But being offended is your choice. You will have offense all throughout your life. You can't pray, God, I pray that offense won't come to me. It ain't going to happen. As long as you're on this earth, offense will come. But being offended is your choice. Remember, Jesus and John the Baptist, they grew up as cousins. They're months apart in age. God uses John the Baptist to introduce Jesus' ministry. And John's calling was to go before Jesus to prepare the way. So John didn't have to die early. He says, I'm decreasing that he might increase, but that doesn't mean John had to die. There's plenty of places where the message of Jesus had not gone yet. Imagine if John the Baptist made it to after the resurrection and was filled with the Holy Ghost. Because you see John in Matthew 3, what he wanted from Jesus was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because Jesus says, hey, I want you to baptize me. And John says, no, I need you to baptize me. What is John after? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Father told him it was coming, and John says, that's what I want. God would not have put a desire in John's heart that he could not have. So imagine that John the Baptist went to the day of Pentecost. Imagine the ministry he would have had. John the Baptist, now he's baptizing people in the Holy Ghost. Now he's talking about when he saw Jesus, still pointing them to the Lamb of God to the end of his days. Imagine the ministry he would have had. He's preaching. He's effective. He's preaching to kings. He's correcting kings. He corrected the king, and the king didn't like it, so he threw him in jail. But the king still liked him somewhat. He said, I don't like what you're saying, but it says the king would still go down and listen to John preach. So the king is conflicted. I don't like that you corrected me, but I like your ministry. So I'm going to still listen to you while you preach to me in jail. So he's going back and forth, back and forth. And so John the Baptist is sitting in jail. Remember, not only is he the anointed John the Baptist, he's the cousin of the Messiah. His cousin is the son of God. So he's sitting in jail going, why am I still in jail? So he sends two of his disciples to Jesus and say, hey, are you he that is supposed to come? Are you the Messiah? Should we look for another? A lot of times in Christianity and church, we think, oh, that was a spiritual question. John the Baptist really just wanted to make sure that he was the son of God. No. Jesus and John already had that conversation. The heavenly father already told John, the Messiah, the son of God, is going to be one who's seen the Holy Spirit descend upon and remain. John the Baptist testified, this is the son of God. This is the lamb of God. John the Baptist knew. So when he sent this question, you see it, I believe, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus responds, he says, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see, the poor have the gospel preached to them, the dead are raised. So he's talking about all the miracles that God has done, all the manifestations of the anointing that's on the Christ. And then he ends as the disciples began to walk away, and Jesus says, blessed is he that's not offended in me. What happened to John the Baptist? He got offended with Jesus. He was offended. Why? Come on, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. You're my cousin. Get me out of jail. Why aren't you trying to get me out? Why aren't you helping me? So in the prison, John the Baptist gets offended. He gets bitter. He's a great man of God. He's anointed, but now he's bitter and he's offended. And what happens? He loses his head. His life did not have to end there. But he lost his head because he was offended. Offense is deadly. Although he's in prison, he's not spreading the strife. The offense opens up the door for the enemy to end his life. To overcome strife, you must overcome the root of offense. You cannot stay in offense. You cannot become offended. You have to forgive everybody of everything. I like what John Bevere says. He calls offense the bait of Satan. That's what Satan puts out to grab you. Offense will come to everybody, but being offended is a choice. Because if you decide to be offended, you may have every reason and right to be offended. You may be right. They may be wrong. But that doesn't mean you have to be offended. You have the right to be angry. You have the right to do all these different things. But that doesn't mean that's what you have to choose. Because if you stay in offense, you will cut off the blessing of God. You'll cut off the flow of the anointing. You'll stagnate your calling. And eventually, it'll cause you to disassociate places where you're supposed to be. How many people leave churches all the time because they are offended? 
And so there are things that God wants to do in the church that would bless that person, but they left out because someone didn't smile at them. Or they didn't shake my hand the way I wanted to be shaking my hand. They didn't sing my favorite song. So it may seem stupid, but they get offended and they leave. And now God can't do what he wants to do because in their life because they're offended and say, well, it doesn't take all that. I don't have to go to church. Why? What is the root of that? Offense. And you look at a lot of people who leave churches, a lot of it's because they're offended. Not every case, but a lot of it's because they're offended. Some is false doctrine, some are other things. But a lot of the root is offense. And so offense begins to separate them, and they become a lone soldier, and Satan can snipe them out. And now when they fall, there's no one to help them back up because there's no one around. There's no church family. There's no church community to pray the prayer of faith, to pray with them, to intercede with them, to use their authority and get that person out of that situation. Now they're by themselves. And, you know, a lot of people, when they become offended in this day and age, they put all their offense on social media. So they spread all their offense. I'm offended. They did this. They did that. I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm offended. But those social media people can't help you when Satan snipes you out. Offense is dangerous. Strife is dangerous. And the person who spreads strife, God says, I hate that. So if you're a person that's always going on to social media to stir up trouble, you're doing something that God actively hates. If the purpose of you spreading that is like, oh, I'm going to get all these people mad with me. I'm going to make other people offended with me. God hates that. You're, you're becoming full of pride. Now you're going to be resisted by God, and how can you be blessed by God if he's resisting you? And if God's resisting you and the enemy's coming into your house, who is going to help you? You've cut off the source of your lesson, like John the Baptist. You picked the wrong person to be offended at. The only person that can help you is Jesus. And who knows, if John the Baptist's ministry continued, he may have won King Herod. Because King Herod came down every day to listen to him preach. Who knows the potential John's ministry had, but it was cut off too soon because of offense. How many people live and die early because they're offended? And you think, oh, they were such a good person. Why do bad things happen to good people? There are reasons. There are some good people who are offended. You may have never heard it out their mouth, but inside the heart, they are offended. You say, oh, they've been such a good person, such a faithful person. But is there strife in their life? Is there unforgiveness in their life? Because some people will never forgive. You may never hear it. They may look nice on the outside, but on the inside, they never truly forgave. And some people will never truly even forgive themselves for things that have happened to them or things that they let happen. And so I know one individual, one case, I'm not going to talk about publicly, but they died a premature death because they never forgave themselves for something someone else did to their family member. They thought, I should have been there. I could have stopped it. And they never forgave themselves, and they died early from a ravenous disease. Unforgiveness of their self opened the door for Satan to take them out early when they're a beloved minister of the gospel. Offense will open the door. Strife will open the door. Unforgiveness will open the door. It must be handled and dealt with. It's not saying, well, I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll deal with it next week. No, you got to deal with it now. It's dangerous. If you drank poison, that was you find out you drank poison, and if you don't handle it in an hour, it's going to kill you. It's like, oh, I'll go to the hospital in the morning. Mm, I'm tired. I'll take, I'll take care of that later. No. You want to handle it now. If there's offense or strife in your life, you need to handle it now. How do we handle it? Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strifes, but love covers all sins. The word cover means to bury. It means to overwhelm. Love will bury and overwhelm strife. Walking in love is the key to overwhelming strife and dealing with offense. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy 
or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, so it doesn't keep score. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong, so it's not getting offended. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. It endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. This type of love, walking in this type of love, is how you deal with offense. Walking in this type of love is a continual and conscious decision. God, it will not grab you and make you walk in love. Now, you can ask him to help you walk in love, sure. But you have to make a decision. I'm going to walk in love. It has to be a quality decision. And a quality decision is backed up with daily decisions and sometimes decisions all throughout the day. You have to think all the time, I'm going to walk in love, I'm going to walk in love, I'm going to walk in love, I'm not going to cuss them out, I'm going to walk in love, I'm going to walk in love, I'm not going to slap them, I'm going to walk in love, I'm going to walk in love, I'm not going to tell them that number one, I walk in love, I walk in love, I walk in love. You have to tell yourself that all the time. One of the ways you need to start your day is by saying, I choose to fulfill the love commandment. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I will love my neighbor as I love myself. I will love others as Jesus has loved me. And then you can list people in your life. I will love my spouse as Jesus loves me. I will love my children as Jesus loves me. I will love my neighbors as Jesus loves me. I will love my church members as Jesus loves me. I will love those I work with as Jesus loves me. I will love people I encounter as Jesus loves me. I will love my fellow man as Jesus loves me. What are you doing? You're making a decision, but as you are speaking, you're activating the ability to love on the inside of you. One of the things we learned from Philemon, everything that's good on the inside of us is made active by our acknowledgement and by our saying. You're stirring up the love of God on the inside of you. Jude says that when we pray in the Holy Ghost, we are keeping ourselves in the love of God. So if you spend time praying in the Spirit, you'll walk in love more. Why? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of love. So you take time praying in that language of love, it will enable you to walk in love better. It's hard to go from praying in the Holy Ghost to cussing people out. So, oh, I was praying and I cussed someone out. You need to pray a little bit longer. You spend time with God, you're going to start to act like him. Anytime you hang out with someone, you're going to act like them. You know, bad company corrupts good morals. But good company will help you live right. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Another way to help yourself to get in this mentality of walking in love is that scripture I just read. Ephesians 4, I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, Amplified Classic Edition. Put it wherever you get offended the most. Wherever you think I'm about to enter into strife the most, just put it up where you can read it. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is patient, love is kind. Another thing you can do, put your name where it says love. John is patient, John is kind. Sarah is patient, Sarah is kind. What are you doing? You're confessing the word of God about yourself. Because you're going to believe yourself before you believe anybody else. Even if you're crazy, you can believe yourself before you believe other people. What you could be saying could be crazy, but you believe it. No one else may, but you believe it. So put the word of God in your mouth and say what God says about you. The love of God will enable you to do these things. The love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Ghost who's given unto you. That's what Paul says. So with that love, you have the ability to love the most unlovable person, to forgive everyone, and to not enter into strife. Now, when the offense comes, you will be angry more than likely. You will be whatever it is. But you have to make a decision, I'm going to forgive them. Now, it may not happen in five minutes. It may take you a few hours to get over it. But before the sun goes down, before the day is through, you need to deal with it. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Notice what it says. Forgive everyone just like God has forgiven you. When God forgives us, it's done. He forgets about it. He doesn't remember anymore. It's casting the sea of forgetfulness. You can come to God the next day, oh, God, remember when I did that yesterday? He says, what are you talking about? When you ask for forgiveness, he clears it up. He's not going to bring it up 10 years later, 15 years ago. Don't you remember what you did 15 years ago? God, that's not how he forgives. So you have to make a choice that I'm going to forgive just like God. So when someone offends you, you have to make sense, I'm going to forgive them. 
Well, Pastor, I don't feel like forgiving them. I would really want to. Can God make me feel like forgiving them? It's not about what you feel. Everything we do is by faith. You have to forgive people by faith even when you're angry at them. You have to make a decision. You know what? I am going to forgive them. And then, you know, after you do that, he might feel better for a few minutes. Five minutes later, you get angry all over again. What do you do? Nope, I made a decision to forgive them. I let that go. How often do I need to do that, Pastor? How often do I need to say that's not my thought until it doesn't come back again? You get angry all over it. Nope, that's not my thought. I forgave them. I let it go. I forgive everybody of everything. You have to keep saying that. You have to get in a place where you practice forgiveness. Because when it comes time to when you really need to forgive, it's easier to forgive. Because the thing is, if you're not offended at anybody, angry at anybody, it's easy to forgive right now. Like, oh, of course, Pastor, I can forgive anybody of everything. But if I'm talking to you right now and you're thinking of certain people, it's a little bit harder for you to forgive right now. Right? So you have to be in a place where you practice forgiveness. And so you can go into places before you even, you know, if you're a person who gets offended in restaurants because they mess up your order, forgive people in advance. So you walk in and say, you know what, I forgive everybody in here of everything. Oh, they messed up my order. Well, you already forgave them. You can tell them to send it back and send out the right thing, but you don't have to be nasty about it. I remember one time we were at a restaurant, and I was practice principal. I was like, I forgive everybody of everything. And so we're in there, you know, the server brings a meal, and we're eating, and the table next to us is turning up. They're getting louder and louder and louder, and they're all drunk, and it's like turning up to a high level. And so I just said quietly at the table, so people at the table heard me, I said, you know what? I have to forgive everybody of everything. I forgive you all. And you know what happened? The whole table quieted down. So you know what? It's time to leave, everyone. And they left. And I went to the table and saw, what happened? I said, I just forgave them. Because God also said, whoever I forgive, he forgives. So what happened? That just changed the atmosphere of the whole area. Practicing forgiveness. Go places. I forgive everyone in this room. I forgive this person. I forgive that person. I forgive everyone. What happens? When, at times, when it comes to forgive, you'll be able to forgive because whatever you practice, you will eventually perfect. So practice forgiveness, you'll eventually perfect it. And you'll be able to let things go much quicker. We can't be the people who've been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost 50 years, but we're still offended at a brother in the church or sister in the church. It comes a time where you got to let things go. And if you're still offended at somebody years, years, years down the line, you may not be as spiritually mature as you thought you were. Paul goes on in Ephesians 5 verse 1, Be ye therefore followers or imitators of God as dear children. Imitate God just like little kids imitate their parents. All my kids imitate me. My two-year-old follows me when I'm walking around the house. So I can be walking, praying, or doing whatever, and she's walking behind me, copying everything I do. Why? She sees me, and she wants to be like me, so she'll do what I'm doing. But even when you look at little babies and newborns and infants, you'll see how when you're talking, they're looking at your mouth. What are they doing? They're learning how to talk by the words that are coming out your mouth. And so the words they say are imitations of you. We're supposed to imitate God as a little children, walk like he walks, but look at his mouth long enough to learn how to talk. Look at his mouth long enough to learn what words we should say. It's imitating him. Just like little kids will imitate their parents. And one of the ways you imitate God is you forgive just like him. And walk in love. As Christ also have loved us and has given himself for an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savior. Walk in forgiveness and walk in love. It goes hand in hand. You can't walk in love if you won't walk in forgiveness. People will tick you off. People will bring offense into your life. But you have to make a decision. I will not be offended. I forgive everybody of everything. Let that become your motto. I remember one time I was saying that because someone had did something and it was really bothering me. And it was not something that just happened. I had forgave them. But, you know, they never apologized. And, you know, you know, I forgave them. But at least you want them to come to their senses and apologize to you. At least that make you a little bit feel, feel better about forgiving by faith. And so it came back to me. The thought came back to me. I'm getting angry. I said, you know what? I forgive everybody of everything, and they don't even owe me an apology. It just came out of my spirit. I'm like, oh, now that's real forgiveness. Because if you're waiting for them to apologize, your forgiveness is conditional. It really doesn't matter if they apologize or not, if you're really going to forgive them. Because forgiveness is a financial term. It means canceling the debt. When you're saying, I forgive you, you're saying, you don't owe me anything. When God forgave you, you didn't owe God anything. Why? Because salvation is a gift. You didn't work for it. 
You don't owe him anything. Now, we serve him out of complete gratitude and joy. We give him our lives because he's our Lord and Savior, but it's not because we owe him. Salvation is a gift. We're not trying to pay God back with our life. We freely give him our life because he loves us, because he's done so much. So if you're going to forgive like him, as I'm canceling the debt against you. You never have to even say you're sorry or pay me back if I forgive you. Now, if they want to pay you back and do right by you, that's great. Praise God for it. But operating in forgiveness says, I'm canceling the debt. I'm not going to hold it over your head. I'm not going to bring it up in 15 years. I'm not going to bring it up in 20 years. Now, also walking in forgiveness, there is wisdom with that. If someone is a person who always offends you, doesn't mean you need to be around them all the time. I'm not talking about your spouse. So don't say, ooh, pastor says I can leave you alone for a little while. No. What situations you put yourselves in? Places you go. Don't hang around that person. Don't spend a lot of time around that person. Don't keep putting yourself in that position. Why? Because you keep putting yourself in that position. You keep being offended. You're letting that person destroy your life. So, oh, I can't watch the news. I'm always offended. Then turn it off. Stop letting Fox News and CNN offend you. Stop letting MSNBC and all the other networks offend you. Stop letting the president offend you. Stop letting Congress offend you. Stop letting Democrats or Republicans offend you. Because offense is not just people you know on a regular basis. It can be people you see on the news. So you might just need to say, you know, I forgive that person right now. You can start your day. I forgive that politician as I start my day in advance. Those, they tweet something crazy, I already forgave them. They say something you don't like, I already forgave them. Why? Because you being offended is not going to change anything. doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, whether you follow elephants or donkeys, you need to follow the lamb first. You need to forgive everybody of everything, no matter what political party side of the aisle, whether they're independent, socialist, Republican, Democrat, it don't matter. Forgive everyone of everything. Have offense toward no man. You must walk in love. And close here. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to depart from strife, but a fool will keep on meddling. So you get to pick what you want to be. Do you want to receive the honor to depart from strife, or do you want to be the fool? It's up to you. That's how you overcome strife. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.